My friends, would you please stand with me as we read the Lord's word this morning from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And again, let us listen to the Lord's word. So as, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. This is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated, friends? Again, our Father, we thank you for your word and pray that you would help this servant and help these your people. We pray for an outpouring of your spirit to be upon us. The spirit who takes the word and applies the word and convicts and admonishes and judges, who opens the eyes, who causes the heart to be alive. Would you come and be present now, O Spirit? and advance your kingdom and your glory. And would you please cause the kingdom of Satan great injury, that we would see your people set free and rejoicing. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, we need one another. Uh, We need one another in the body of Christ. Uh, As you recall, just a few years ago, While we were experiencing uh, the COVID pandemic, uh, people were encouraged to stay away from one another. And you can imagine that as a pastor, I'm especially appalled because the church was uh, pushed into the category of being not so essential, not like a bar. Unbelievable. No, the church isn't all that essential, is it? While you could sit at your home and and sit at your computer and hear a sermon. In fact, you could click on any sermon you wanted. You could find Charles Spurgeon. You could find R.C. Sproul. You didn't have to go to church. Just, Just watch something on the computer. That's all you need. Now, don't get me wrong. The sermon is important, and so are the sacraments, and so is prayer. But you know what else is important, friends? The church. Fellowship. They are important. These are not things we can take lightly, and it's a shame that so many churches, and even today, look what has happened. I mean, just numerous reports where COVID came in and people said, I don't need to go to church. I can watch it on computer. And I've talked to one, I've talked to a dozen guys who said, we lost half our congregation and they've never come back since COVID. It's because we've lost the sense of community in the church. It's because we don't appreciate what the Lord has done in bringing together the body of Christ. This is a wonderful passage, deeply convicting, at least to me, and I pray to you as well. In Acts 2.42, we read this. Um, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, listen, and to 
fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. In our times, we view this aspect of the early church, that of fellowship, as almost a non-essential element of the Christian life. As long as I can hear a sermon, say some prayers, and crack a bottle of grape juice, I'm fine. But that isn't what the scriptures say. In fact, the scriptures say quite the opposite. Listen, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. And again, it's always in your bulletin. Let us consider how to stimulate, listen, one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 111, verse 1. He says, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. Listen, in the company of the upright and in the assembly, which is the word for church, the body of believers. The psalmist would get together with other righteous, God-saved people, and he would praise the Lord. He would share his works. He would speak of his wonders. And then we read this in John's Revelation, in Revelation 7, 9 through 12. Listen to this glorious picture. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures, And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It is what was, it is what is to be, and what is to be in the future. It is the body of Christ. It is the community of the believers, those who are gathered into one body. You tell me, Is it important? Can we just stay at home and watch a computer and listen to a sermon? You cannot. And I would say that the gathering together is a key component for Christian health and growth in Christ. Our culture is saying just the opposite. What you do when you gather together cannot be replaced by Zoom. It can't be replaced by Zoom. The body of Christ is essential to our growth and health in Christ. Therefore, it is important that we, um, that we bring one another to one another the gifts and the graces that the Lord has given us. Listen to verse 15c. Um, As we looked at this a couple of weeks back, we are told and be thankful. Again, what is it that keeps us from coming together? What is it that causes us to fly apart when we're not bound together in love, when we don't go beyond just the simple checklist of things? But he says, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Then he says, and and be thankful, and be thankful, right? We are to keep Uh, a thankful heart we are supposed to strive for peace and what feeds peace is gratitude gratitude feeds peace it promotes it among the members of the church what is it that promotes thankfulness 
It is the word of Christ richly dwelling within us. How easy a thing to fall into a snare which destroys the body, that of complaining and grumbling, words that destroy, words that cut, and words that demean. That's how Satan will get us. And we live in such a snarky culture and a snarky age. We put a premium on sarcasm and cutting and biting remarks, and we hurt one another, and we shut each other up. The very things that destroy us. So if you think of the body of Christ as being a blessing and being a necessity, what is it that keeps us fighting for each other? It is when we are thankful and we strive for peace and we give appreciation. But what is it that causes us to fall apart? What does Satan use? He uses our words to destroy and to divide one another. What promotes thankfulness is the word of Christ richly dwelling within us. As we noted last week, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile the man. My friend, what inhabits your heart? What do you dwell upon during the week? Is it the Lord and his truth? Is this what's in your heart? Is this what you set uh, your, your mind upon? Or do you set your heart upon the idols of this age, upon the world and the things of this world? It's such a fundamental lesson. I was telling my wife that these, this passage, I can't believe that I've been this long at preaching and I've, I don't recall how fundamental a passage this is. This is the steak and potatoes of the Christian life. How essential it is. And I'm mindful that as Americans, how prone we are to say, oh, sure, I need to listen to the uh, sermon. But we have fallen away from saying, I got to get the church. In our culture, if, if church doesn't fit, we cut it out of the calendar. There was a previous day when the Christian would say, if it interferes with church, I've got to cut something out of my calendar. Because church coming to worship, coming to church is a non-negotiable for the Christian. And really, this is where we need to get back to. I believe that this is what the Apostle Paul is getting at here in the book of Colossians, that he is talking about Christian growth. He's talking about becoming what we are in Christ, and he's putting all this emphasis on the body of Christ and how we respond to one another. That my well-being spiritually is tied together with your well-being spiritually. Isn't that a funny thing? What a concept. That when we're together in one body, we hurt when one is hurt. Or we rejoice when one rejoices. So here he is exhorting the saints, again for their mutual help and benefit, he says to them, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Which does not mean, as we pointed out, merely mastering Bible trivia, but it is to be the word that takes up residence within you, that it not being a servant at your beck and call, but that the word of itself would be master, which directs, informs, it guides, it encourages, it admonishes, it sets our every agenda, it determines our attitudes, it determines what motives we ought to have. And it is the word that leads us then to thankfulness, which promotes peace among the body. But that is not all that the word of God does. It is also of use to the building up of the body 
as well as leaving, leading us rather to the honor of our God. We look at how so. How does the word of God build and edify the body? Notice this, that the word should be the substance of what we bring to one another. The word should be the substance that we bring to one another. We had opportunity this week to, to help a fellow believer out, and I saw this up close and very personal as um, this dear friend was enduring struggles and trials and to hear what was coming out of our mouths, good things. How the story of Moses, how the story of Joseph, how we speak about the, the disciples and the boats and the storms and we, all of this and the brothers who were there were, were all chiming in and bringing the scriptures to bear so that this dear friend could be encouraged. So this, this whole week was spent <laughs> in, in this sense. And then we see this very thing unfolded right here again. Listen to this. Listen to what he says. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The word should be the substance of what we bring to one another. There is some debate over where the punctuation resides, uh, should reside in this verse. Is the apostle saying, like the New King James says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, comma, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord? Or is it like the ESV, it states, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, comma, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, comma, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I prefer the latter reading, that of the ESV. I'm coming from the perspective that it is with wisdom that we are to teach and admonish one another and that we are to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. We are, remember this, to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly in order that we may also teach and admonish one another wisely. We need each other. Teaching and admonishing one another. First, it, it presupposes that we are involved in each other's lives. It presupposes that we are involved in each other's lives. The word fellowship that I read in Acts 2.42 is used as uh, a word that's used to intimate, to demonstrate that there is an intimate bond of fellowship which unites Christians. Think of this, that as Christians we are, though diverse, yet we are one in Christ. Again, the apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, and if any member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. I believe we have a real problem, a real weakness in the American church. Perhaps it is because of this mindset of the victorious Christian life. And I want to tell you about this. Uh, the victorious Christian life is that concept that I'm in Jesus and I've been delivered, which is true. And my life reflects it now and I have nothing I struggle with. So don't bother talking to me about it. Right? That's, that's the way some people speak of the victorious Christian life. I've arrived, and so I don't need the involvement of other people in my life. 
It might be, however, that we're just simply Americans, and so we are so busy, we never take time to fellowship. Or it might be, we're just downright complacent. I know you're hurting. I know you have a life. I have a life, too. Frankly, I don't care about your life, which is shameful because that is the antithesis of what a Christian is supposed to be. I don't know what the reason is, but we're terrible at fellowship in the Lord's church. We're, we're not very good at fellowship here. Some of you are really good at fellowship with others, and some of you are really terrible at fellowship. And, and, and our culture does not promote it because we're all too busy and we've got to go binge watch something on Netflix because that's really important. You see how ridiculous that is? And yet, your spiritual health and growth is, is dependent upon... God has ordained it to be dependent upon the body of Christ functioning like a body. So that intimate bond we share in Christ is reduced because of whatever reasons, is reduced to to a rather superficial and shallow conversations. We never actually get around to getting deeper into the things with which we wrestle, those things which hinder our growth and maturity in Christ. So we'll talk about the weather, we'll talk about politics, we'll talk about trucks, we'll talk about work, but we don't talk about the struggles that we have with work and with co-workers who gossip about you and make you feel like you want to quit. We don't speak about the fears that have been brought about by the political environment in which we reside right now. We don't speak about the fact that All of my toys come with a price tag and I'm buried up to my eyeballs in debt or that I'm struggling in my marriage to love my spouse or my children are driving me nuts. We don't talk about those things. I understand it. No one wants to go and throw up on each other. I'm not suggesting that. But I am saying that there's a mistake you, you, you can go throw up on everyone, every thought that comes across your mind, or you can just talk to nobody. And we don't bother fellowshipping. We don't bother fellowshipping with one another. And so the brother or sister never gets an opportunity to speak into your life. I want to encourage you. You should not be surprised by your sin or anyone else's sin in this congregation. I'm serious when I say this. You know, we can look at the statistics. And I'm terrible with statistics. I forget what the statistics are of women who have had abortions. Statistically, some of you ladies have. And you suffer with wounds. And you have nobody to bear this burden with you. Statistically, I forget what it is, 90% of men are struggling with pornography. It's a huge number. And you're eaten up with guilt. You're stuck and you don't know who to talk to. And the fear is, is that if I told them, they would think less of me. I don't think I'd think less of you. Because I know what I was. And I know how I struggle. And I know what the Lord has done. And frankly, I don't care about your past. 
as as far as it holding holding on to you. What I care about is where do you stand now with Jesus Christ? But you see, we we all have got these facades. I've got to let everyone know that I've arrived, that I've got the good Christian thing going on. I'm that victorious Christian. Baloney. You're a mess just like I am. And it's true, and you know it's true. You have to live with your thoughts every day, day in and day out. You're a mess. That shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us that this, these are the kinds of things that go on. It is Christ himself who has eradicated sin once for all. My friends, Christ is our righteousness. That's our hope. We have not arrived We are works in progress, as we have said numerous times. You should not be surprised at your struggles with sin, nor should you be surprised at other people's struggles with sin. And don't act like, don't act like you're shocked and amazed that you struggle with these things. People struggle with things. Remember Lot? Righteous Lot? See, I'm bringing these things up because I think these are the things that kill fellowship among believers. I'm trying to open the pipeline so that you receive the benefits of of the body of Christ. And it is Satan who has deceived us so that we don't embrace the body of Christ and receive the benefit of one another speaking the truth of God, which richly dwells within us, into each other's lives. So that when a brother or sister, I had a guy tell me this one time years ago, in a different place, a different state altogether, who he had confessed that he had been unfaithful. And I think he was waiting for me to get up and walk away. And he sat there and just cried across the table from me. And you know what I got to say to him? It's done. It's forgiven. Go back no more. Don't feed those things. But Christ has conquered. Can you speak like that to somebody? Do you speak like that to somebody? Do you remind them of what Christ has done and do you remind them of what Christ has set them free to do now? Or do you sit there and go, yeah, I gotta go. See how important the body of Christ is? My friends, we must take time to visit with each other. We must take time to call and to talk. Find that person or be that person. Older folks talking to younger folks and reminding them, yeah, I bet I've been there. I've done that. I've screwed up this way or I've screwed up that way. And you can encourage them, not by your stellar example, but by Christ's accomplishment. You see what that means? We must take these times. We must take time with one another uh, to find those, to share with those who will bear a burden with us. I saw this wonderful meme somebody posted, and it said, surround yourself with the kind of friends who would tear through a roof to bring you to Jesus. I love that. Those are the kinds of friends you want to surround yourself with. Someone who will tell you you screwed up, or somebody who will remind you of the grace of God when you did. They're men. They're women who know the grace of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and will speak that truth into your life and remind you of what your past was so that they can 
tell you that Jesus Christ has conquered it and they don't use it as a stick to get all church lady on you. That's a Dana Carvey Saturday Night Live reference. My apologies. My friends, we err not ministering to one another. The fact that he writes teaching and admonishing one another implies that we are getting to know one another in a more substantive manner than what is typically done in the American church where we eat and we run and we keep ourselves too busy to be able to visit with one another. By the way, the fellowship meal that we're having here in just a little bit, um, it's an encouragement for you to get your foot in a door. The fellowship meal is not the sum total of fellowship. Seriously, how, how great a fellowship can you actually have when you're eating a hot dog? You're fo focused and fixated on the food in front of you, but it's at least an opportunity it's at least an opportunity to sit across the table from somebody and to start to get to know them. It's just a starting place. It's not the ending point. The fellowship of the body of Christ is essential for your well-being in the Lord. As we get to know one another through thoughtful conversation and shared experiences, we then get to know one another, their warps, their baggage, and listen, be honest with each other. We get to know each other's warps and baggage, their fears, their strengths, their weaknesses, their flaws, and we can and ought to speak to them from the word of Christ, which richly dwells within us. Again, what does he say to them? He says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We are to teach one another. Uh, we are told in, in Colossians 1.28 that... Uh, Paul and Timothy wrote in order to admonish every man and teach every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So the Christians to whom he writes are now to do the same for one another from the word of Christ, uh, the word of Christ written in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and that which was verbally spoken. You understand what we're saying? What do you say to somebody whose body is falling apart? And they can't, and they're never free of pain. What do you say to them? You point them to the fact that a better day is coming and that these tents are wearing out. Don't lose heart. It's going to end someday. We're going to be set free from these bodies, and the pain that we experience is that which reminds us that we're not home yet. We live in a fallen and cursed world. So we speak to this matter in the lives of people. To teach means that we impart instruction. It is to instill doctrine into another. The word is used in this sense in Acts 11.26, speaking of Barnabas and Saul, also known as Paul. And we're told, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. Barnabas went and found Saul and brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They were teaching. These were new converts. They didn't know anything. Paul and Barnabas are there teaching for an entire year, grounding them in the truth of who Christ is and what the, what the Lord calls them to. This is what they did day in and day out. These were people who needed to be grounded, and they did this. They instilled doctrine. 
My friends, no one of, none of us knows it all. We are perpetually to be students, perpetually learning. And to do so, we, uh, as we do so, we speak the truth of Christ into each other's lives. I will say we have a wonderfully rich historic tradition in the Reformed Church, rich in substance. We have these wonderful confessional standards. We have Sunday schools and Sunday evenings and our gatherings on Wednesday evening. We have material on the back racks, and we can get you endless amounts of material. And you say, I don't know what truth to impart to others. And I would ask you, are you making use? Are you making use of the resources at your disposal? You see, this is every Christian's responsibility. You join a church, you become a member, and you promise that you're part of a body and that you're going to minister to one another. What, in fact, are you ministering to one another? Are you taking the time to talk, to visit, to get to know, and to bring the scriptures to bear in their lives? It's essential. And if I were to ask you, if I were to ask you to, like a doctor, put your fingers on the pulse of this nation, of the church in this nation, would you say the church is healthy? Or would you say the church is not healthy? And what would you attribute that to? Maybe to the fact that we're consumers and we just want to get in and get out and get our hour and a half of God in for the week and then get on with the important things. That's shameful. That's not the way the church is to operate. That's not the way this church should operate. I want to challenge you that you get into the word if you're not into the word. I want to challenge you to make use of the means of grace and the teaching that does take place Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and Wednesday evenings and at studies on Saturday mornings and on Wednesday mornings over breakfast and make use of coffee bars. We've got a million of them now in Lander. Go drink some coffee and talk to one another and bear each other's burdens and bring the scriptures, the truth of the word of God, to bear in each other's lives. Because that is important for you to grow in Christ and to reach maturity and to be transformed into the image of our dear Savior. That's what Paul is getting at. That's what he's getting at. Do you know what to say to someone who is all wrapped up in their own accomplishments. Again, do you know what to say to somebody who's buried up to their eyeballs in trials and feel as though the Lord is nowhere to be found? Do you know what to say to somebody who is buried in debt and keeps spending money he doesn't have? Do you know what to say to somebody who is fearful of the future or who is complacent? Do you know what to say to somebody who can't get pregnant or to the person who finds themselves pregnant with this unexpected blessing? Do you know what to say to people who have baggage from their past or pains that never seem to go away or who are torn up, gripped in fear by the condition of our country? Do you know what to say to people who struggle in their marriage and with their children? My friends, the word of Christ addresses all of these and infinitely more As we know one another, we help each other by speaking truth into one another's lives, and by this, we help one another to maturity in Christ. But it is not only teaching, it is also admonishing that Paul speaks of. To admonish means to warn or to exhort. Paul wrote to the saints in Thessalonica, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. We don't only speak the truth, 
in some abstract fashion, but we speak the truth to bear upon the lives of one another. This is what we are called to do. I had a friend in seminary who said, theology needs to wear sneakers. And that's the way the Reformed doctrines are. They're lovely. But theology is meant for living. If, if theology doesn't lead to living, then you don't really know theology. You just know trivia. Theology is to affect your life so that the person who is wrapped up with anxiety being reminded of the sovereign, loving control of our God takes a deep breath and goes, you're right, thank you, I needed to hear that. It is about making disciples, teaching them to observe all I have commanded, as the Lord said in Matthew 28. So we are to do this teaching and admonishing with one another in all wisdom, he says. Again, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. It applies the truth of the word of Christ faithfully to those around you, to their situation, so that they will grow in Christ. It considers the individual, their place in life, their situation and circumstances, their abilities or lack thereof, and the timeliness of their speaking. That's what wisdom does. Is it the right time? Is it the right place? Is it the right situation? I thought of this when my brother was still in his senior year of college. He was married. His wife had an emergency surgery, and he had to leave class. And just before he left class at college, his teacher says to him, by the way, don't forget to turn in your homework assignment. My brother said, I felt like decking him as my wife had to be rushed to the emergency room. Um, There's an appropriate time and a place, and a manner. And when we teach and when we admonish, we take the word of God and we consider all sorts of things before we open our mouths. And then we um, smartly, wisely apply the truth of the scriptures to the lives of the people. Proverbs 25.11 says, Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. This, my friend, is what we are called to do, to minister to one another in the Lord, to speak truth into each other's lives, and to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's the word of Christ dwelling richly within us, and that is what we are called to do. But further, and we'll notice this as he says it here in Colossians 3, he says, um, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, this is, again, the ESV. They say, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts. And then the NASB, which I just read, says, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In one um, translation, in one translation, it reads as if we are singing to God psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and in the other, that the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are the substance from which we are to be teaching and admonishing one another. We are told this in Ephesians 5. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. What are these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? 
Commentators are in agreement that these three, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, are not so distinct as we are prone to think of them. There is overlap between these words, and yet there is some distinction. One commentator said this, the term psalms has reference at least mainly to the Old Testament Psalter, hymns mainly to New Testament songs of praise to God or to Christ, and spiritual songs mainly to any other sacred songs dwelling on themes other than direct praise to God or to Christ. I want you to notice that, again, in line with letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you, the things that are expressed in song are from the scriptures or the truth of scripture. Do you see how everything here is flowing from let the word of Christ dwell richly in you? It's not merely what we teach or with what we admonish, but also that which we, we sing. We are being reminded, if you think about the hymns we sing this morning, when I choose these hymns, when I choose these psalms, when I choose these things, I choose them so that they align themselves somewhat to the message of scripture that's being preached. The goal is not to just make a pretty noise. It's to sing edifying truth regarding the Lord and what he has done and what he has called us to so that the word of God is dwelling richly within us as a congregation and dwelling richly within my heart so that I know the Lord. But notice that the focus, again, is all on the word of God. It's it's the substance of what we speak to each other. It is the substance of what we sing to the Lord and it is how we build each other up. And it leads us to sing to God with thankfulness. With thankfulness in our hearts. And as we said, thankfulness promotes peace. You know what our problem is? We don't think and speak and sing enough concerning the Lord. And we lose our way when that happens. Understand, my friends, that God's truth is good for me. God's truth is God's truth is good for you, and it leads us to rejoicing in the Lord. When we recount who he is and what he has done for us, for his people in Christ Jesus, it fills our hearts with thankfulness to him. The goal with all of this being to lift our our eyes off of ourselves and our difficult circumstances and our troubles, the sourest state of this world and life and all the problems, and to point each other's eyes back to where they belong on our great and faithful King, on the Lord, leading us to his praise. You see how this is working? We separate from the body, and then there's nobody there to bring us back to the Lord. We connect, stay connected to the body, And we're speaking to each other the things of the Lord, reminding each other in all of the warp and woofs of life, we are reminding each other of the truth of what the Lord has done. The psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs promote this as individuals and as congregations, and it results in our praise. So I ask you this, is this true? Am I saying something that is actually viable? And I'll ask you this one question. What is man's chief end? Let's try it again. Just a little more bold. What is man's chief end? To glorify God, to enjoy him forever. 
And what is the goal of this passage? It is to lead us to glorify God and enjoy him. All of us together. This is what Paul is teaching. And what is it that's killing the church when we separate, when we listen to government instructions saying don't gather for church? It's not necessary. Some of you felt like, oh, it's necessary. (laughs) I feel it. And you were right to feel that way because it is. I want to encourage you to not think that you don't need one another because we do. We are necessary for growth in Christ. We are one of those means that the Lord uses to help each other along to the path of heaven. God uses the body of Christ to help us along in our Christian walk. Please don't fall prey to that mindset that says, I don't need the church. I can take or leave the church. I can do church. You can't do church. You are to be the church. You don't do church. This is vital. And it's vital for our children that they understand the importance of the church. I watched my daughter Jessica walk in with Addie Joan holding her finger. And I see these chubby, not my daughter, but my granddaughter, I see her chubby little legs stomping across the parking lot as she's brought into church. And it's going to be like this every Sunday until they hand their little girl off to another man or until they die. And she's being taught the value, the importance, the necessity of the body of Christ. We need each other because we are united together under Christ our head who gave his life to redeem us. And he calls us to lay our lives down so that we might minister now to each other. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your word and for this passage. And I pray, Lord, that that you would help us to see the importance and the beauty and the necessity of the body of Christ. We recognize, Father, that not staying connected to the body, we disassociate ourselves also from the head. And it is not meant to be this way. We ask, Father, that we would love one another, that we would give thanks for all that you have done. And we pray, Lord, that as we learn your word, as we are in your word, that we would grow and be able to speak into the lives of each other, the truth of your word, that we might encourage each other so that when sin does uh, entangle us, when we do fall, when we are struggling, we may bear these burdens and help each other um, by pointing each other back to you. Make our speech, I pray, salty and full of light and full of truth. Keep us, Lord, from falling prey to the deceptions of this culture and of the enemy. We ask that you would shine upon your church and that we would be known as a church of great love for you and a great love for each other. We give you ourselves now and thank you now for the supper we are about to partake of. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.